Christmas, ACAC. Amen, amen. It's so good to be with you all today. So before we jump into the word, let's go up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you because without you, we can do nothing. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. You know exactly where each of us is in the room. You know exactly what we need. So do what you do best. And show us again that you are God. And beside you, there is none other. Take these lips of clay and anoint them with your words so that we may know you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's all right to clap. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Talk to me. So, uh, I'm so excited to be with you all. It truly has been an amazing sermon series, right? watching and waiting. I mean, Pastor Allen has been knocking it out in the park, and now I'm here to, I don't know what to do, but I'm here with you. <laughs> Week one, we've discussed hope, right, and having hope and seasons of waiting. If you were here, you remember week two, we discussed the topic of peace. And in an anxious world, we need peace more now, really, than ever. Week three, we entered the conversation of joy, if you recall that, remembering that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right, 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 right. And now we are here in week four. We've come to the end of this Advent season in anticipation for tomorrow morning, and we're challenged to remember the real reason, because, you know, with all this going on, sometimes it's easy to forget, to remember the real reason for the season. And this week, we're going to have a conversation about love. A touchy and taboo topic with a word that has taken on so many different definitions, a wide range of expressions, love. A word that could be perplexing in its tone where everybody in the room might have a different opinion on the idea. Especially depending on our experiences, see, for they shape how we view and how we have developed our belief systems. Often our experiences shape what we believe and why we believe that thing. In this talk about love, I think a question perhaps that's worth considering today is how much of my experience should inform my beliefs about a thing? Should what I believe about something be informed by my experiences alone? What about if my experience are extremes, if they are polarized? What if they are vastly negative and or vastly positive? How one-sided is my opinion on that thought? Or maybe a lack of experiences may or may not have informed how much you know or believe about the concept. It could inform my thoughts in a way that could be possibly derailing or leading into a deepening of truth especially about a topic as touchy, as romantic, as sensitive as love. For some in the room, if, if you've had euphoric experiences about love, you might feel seemingly blissful, incredibly hopeful. Every time the idea of it comes up, maybe you've had the story that's like a Cinderella story and you've been on your way to the ball. And on the other hand, you might have a person in the room that might be a little like me, where the conversation around love has been difficult to digest. Difficult because of the seasons you've had in your life. Maybe you've gone through times of perpetual heartbreak and disappointment. 
Maybe some stories have been a little bit rougher than others, and your life has not been a Hallmark movie, more like a lifetime drama. Yeah. It could, it could make you feel like the conversation of love is quite overrated. And the question you might find yourself asking, especially around this time of the year, is what does love have to do with anything? Let's talk today, church. On one hand, as it gets colder outside, everybody who has somebody is snuggled up to anybody. And on the other hand, divorce rates are through the roof. Families are experiencing the greatest splits in history. We have more social anxiety disorder now more than ever. We live in the greatest aversion to intimacy in human history. And I think as we attempt to reflect on what is the reason for the season, we might find some exhortation and comfort in 1 John. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says like this on your screens. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Church, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And my hope that by the end of this talk today that you'll come to know this to be true. That love has a name. And his name is Jesus. Now, as we attempt to add some context to this passage of Scripture, we see John writing to what we believe to be the church at Ephesus that is undergoing attacks and splits because of the religious conditions of their society, like much of what we see today. What seems to be taking place are nasty quarrels and disagreement. A large portion of the problem is yet again false teachers false prophets, perpetuating ideas that have compromised the biblical truths about Jesus. John writes to them to reaffirm them in sound doctrine. In a time where they're hearing and experiencing many conflicting views in their world, in their lives, and in their communities, he writes to this body of believers to reestablish them in their faith in God to encourage them not to forget the truth despite what's going on around them. How many know if you look at what's going on around you, it can make the truth seem a little funny. And by the time you get to the end of the first epistle of John, you see him write this exhortation to them to walk in love. The very thing that seems to be so hard to do, he calls them to remember. He challenges their beliefs about love by challenging their beliefs about God, calling them to realign them. And yet again, but what does love have to do with it? Well, I think the first question we ought to ask is what is love? 
And as we attempt to create a theological framework, when, when we look at the Old Testament, we see a wide range of words that are often used. But in short, whether human or divine, these seem to be the most consistent things that describe love in the scriptures. It's considered the deepest possible expression of the personality. It is an example of closeness in personal relationships. And what we know while we use it interchangeably as an emotion, love is an action. And in its nature, according to the scriptures, it is rooted firmly in the personal character of God himself. It is the action of God described in his commitment. And when we see a witness, we see it over in Psalm 86 and 15, and it reads like this. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so what we see here is love is an act that is demonstrated by God. And it's described as something that is firm. Ain't flaky. It's unshakable. And it's not evoked by any intrinsic work of Israel. But it's God's demonstration of commitment. We'll find another witness over in Deuteronomy 30 and 6, which reads like this. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so you may live. When we glance here, we see love as a calling seemingly to be the righteous duty of the believer. But what we know is true love is first enacted by God who changes the heart. And as a response of a changed heart, it's a walk in love. And it ends with this typology that this is the key to life. When we travel over into the New Testament looking for a paradigm of love, the most used word that describes God's love is found in this Greek word called agapeo or agape. You might have heard it. You might have seen it somewhere in church circles. Sometimes it pops up. And agape keeps the Old Testament paradigm for love, but adds a deepening understanding. When we consider the word agape, it is described like this. The highest and noblest form of love would seize something infinitely precious. Now, if we were in therapy and this was counseling, I would use a set of psychological words to describe this in a simpler form. It would be considered unconditional positive regard. A regard that is absolutely positive, beyond the broken condition it might be in. When we glance in the New Testament, we see scriptures that support this idea over in Colossians 3 and 14, which says like this, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. That perfect harmony is the response of love. That how you see your brother or sister, your neighbor and friend, as you see them infinitely precious, beyond the broken conditions, that that is the key to unity and peace. First Peter 4 and 8 reads something like this. Most important of all, 
continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. I hear you. You know the scriptures. The unconditional positive regard of Jesus was the payment for my transgressions. And the writer encourages a worldview that as we see people infinitely precious, this is the key to how you navigate offense. Which leads us to the second question of the day. How does this apply to the conflicts that broke out in 1 John? Well, what we know is John is calling them to remember a truth beyond their current experiences, friends. And experiences do have a way to shape us, what we believe and how and why. But what this tells us in 1 John 4 is he challenges you and I not to allow our external experiences to dictate truths about God's kingdom. But rather the truth of God's kingdom is to create a lens at how we see the world around us. Why, you may ask, because our experiences are limited. They are fractured. They have biases, curated perspectives, different paradigms. And on the other hand, who God is. Growing up in my church, they would say, he's too high to get over. He's too wide to get around. That who God is, is larger than the limitations of my experience. The writer elevates the sovereignty of God in efforts to teach us not to allow our present circumstances to be the sum total of how we define him. That in a time of great chaos, when everybody in the room might have a different story to tell, the writer gives us a lens at how God wants us to consider in our reflection. 1 John 4 and 9, if you get to the nitty-gritty, it says God showed us. And what did he show us? How much he loved us. God showed us how much he sees us as infinitely precious. God showed us how much he sees us with unconditional positive regard, that this regard provokes an action by God. And what is that action, brothers and sisters? He sends a son into the world. This is why we celebrate the occasion of December 25th. Not because of gifts, but because of love. I know it's easy to lose focus of the reason for the season, but it is because of love. And so that leads us to the last question. So what does that mean for us? Well, according to 1 John 4 and 8, God is love. And because he is love, he shows love. And Jesus is the person in which that love has been demonstrated through. You see, Jesus is the incarnation of this love that we are discussing today. And because Jesus saw me, he captured me. He captures our broken and sinful heart. And he challenges me after he's captured me to see my brother, to see my sister, to see my mother, to see father, to see my enemy as infinitely precious from eternity. That that's the point of it all, friends. That love is not just an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is not lights, camera, or action. Love is not the Instagram reels or the likes. It's not the latest polls on the TV screen. And neither is it a Christmas tree and lights, even though I enjoy seeing them this time of the year. But friends, that's because love is not a what or a where. But love is a who. 
Love is wrapped up in a different kind of gift wrapping. Love has wrapped up in swaddling clothes, born in the rocky rounds of a major, in a little town called Bethlehem. And guess what? When love came of age, he took a piercing in his side. Love took a crown of thorns upon his head. And when time came to, love hung his head and died. That that is real love. Because, friends, love has a name. And his name is Jesus. Now, I didn't come to be before you long, you know. Some of y'all, depending on where your background from, I know you've heard that expression before, but I really mean it. (laughs) I really do. I really mean it. In my closing, as I sat with this message before God, it's really easy to get distracted. And as we really go into the changing times that are ahead of us, I ask the Lord, what is the purpose? What is the point? Like, how do we navigate these next seasons? He says, son, you got to remember, without me, there is no season. And without my love, there is no point. And so my encouragement is as we traverse the days and the roads ahead, that you consider that I know the world has told us many different things about what love is and what love isn't. But love has a name. Guess what? His name is above every other name. You might remember a time in American history that was quite earth-shaking, especially for the music charts. I might date a few people in the room when I say this. May 1984. It was a time in history that a woman born as Anna Mae Bullock, professionally known as Tina Turner, debuted a song that May called What's Love Got to Do With It? This song became number one in her career in that time, noted for her passion and fervor while singing it. When asked in an interview, she explained what informed her passions and conviction. And it turned out it was the pain from her life experiences. See, she had 16 years of an abusive marriage that demolished any positive view of love that she had. That at this point, love was nothing but a secondhand emotion, Tina said. It was nothing but an idiomatic drive for the human condition for sex. And I could understand why and how Miss Turner came to that conclusion. And I wonder how many of us today, that too is our experience. That a season of disappointment, that seasons of pain and abuse could have possibly informed your beliefs about love and about God. That a broken worldview, a carnal worldview, an earthly worldview might have informed how we consider a kingdom principle. And I just want to challenge us on this Christmas season that when maybe perhaps 
you might be confronted with this question. That what does love have to do with it? That your answer henceforth and forevermore will be love has everything to do with it. That love has made the world of a difference. Because see folks, love has a name. And it's not the name of the series of unfortunate events that might describe some of the pages in my story. Love has a name and it is not the trauma and or abuse. Love has a name and it is not the tears that rock me to sleep of seasons of my life. Love has a name and it's not the face of your oppressor. Love has a name And it's not what you see on the news where you see disparity after disparity. I know it is convincing. I know seeing it over and over and over, it'll make you second guess the truth. I know a series of good events or bad events might make you second guess what is the real reality. I know our world around us has convinced us that what you see is permanent but the text tells us that what I see is temporal and that which I cannot see is eternal friends love has a name and this holiday that name is Jesus I'm going to end here but you might be in the room in need of a fresh encounter of that love today. In the middle of taping up all the gifts, in the middle of putting all the decorations up, you might have forgotten the reason for the season. And so, I just wanna pray for you, right where you are. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand, but I want you to know that your father, he doesn't just know you, See, that that knowing still sounds far away. He's deeply, madly, what would seem ridiculously in love with you. That as the world has begun to give us so many definitions about God, what I want you to know, thank you, Father, beyond a shadow of a doubt is despite what you might see around you that God is love. And he is the reason behind every season of your life. And so if you, I'm just going to invite you, you don't have to do it. If you want to put your arms out as a hand of receiving a blessing, it's up to you. But Father, I thank you. You are a strong deliverer. The Lord, in a time that is a joyous season, the truth is some of us experience perpetual depression. In the time of a joyous season, some of us experience heightened anxiety. That in a time of a joyous season, when we turn on the TV, it seems like everything else is more prominent than the truth. 
that while the things we might see might be a truth, that there is the truth that is above every other name. And so, Father, over my brothers and sisters today, I speak the true name of love that will cancel out depression, that annihilates anxiety, that dismantles heaviness. I loose the name in this room that bodies will experience healing, that minds will experience regulation, that there has been no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name that's above every other name. And so I announce again Again, the name of Jesus a strong deliverer Jesus a bridge over troubled waters Jesus he is still a doctor in a sick room he still makes ways where there are no ways and right now in the name of Jesus I lose freedom we establish your kingdom afresh that as we get ready for December 25th, that when we remember that unto us a child is born, that unto us a son is given, Amen. that we'll know fresh and new that love came. Love came for us today to renew us, to refresh us. In Jesus' name, Merry Christmas. Amen. Come on, can we sing this together this morning? I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul. Rejoice. Take joy, my King. Take joy, my King. In what you hear? In what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Just one more time. Sing that chorus together. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul. Read your take joy, my King. Take joy, my King, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet, sweet, let it be, oh, let it be a sweet, sweet, May it be, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you would love us, you would love the world so much that you would send your son to be Emmanuel. God with us right now. God with us when we leave. God with us forever. We praise your name when we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Trey. I leaned over to one of our elders, Bruce. I said, he can preach. (laughs) Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Don't forget, 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, Christmas in the city. Merry Christmas.